and welcome to another edition of IDS Talks. My name is Hunter McMahon, and I'm the COO at IDS. And today I am joined by Jacques Knack, one of IDS's strategic advisors. Today we're going to have a great conversation around compliance. We're going to try to define what it is and put a little parameters around that. Now, before we get started, Jacques, you want to give us a quick intro about yourself? Um. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. We'll we'll learn about you uh, throughout the throughout the series of podcasts. Uh, one one fun thing for the audience to know about Jacques and I is we'll be doing a Spartan race in June in Colorado, and there may or may not be a pink tutu on the line. More to come about that later in the podcast series. So let's start. What is compliance? And now. I know we've been talking about this for months, if not years, and and the notion of compliance is like saying, what is litigation? It, it, it's a it's a big arena. There's a lot of things there. But if if you had to describe compliance to somebody that sat down next to you on an airplane, how would you give them context? Good questions, right? Um, compliance is a very generic term. And of course, uh, as generic terms go, they only have context or they have context within a specific um, industry or specific lane. So in general, you comply with what? You comply with rules, you comply with regulations, you comply with best practices. Compliance is the exercise of demonstrating that you are there through a common sense of things that are um, looked at the right way of doing things at the moment, right? So there's a question of time, a question of rule, and the question of wanting to show that you're doing things the right way. So is the right way a matter of perfection or is it a reasonable business way? Like what, how do you know what the right way is? So various compliance regulations and all compliance framework, and so you have to distinguish the two, are looking to achieve various objectives. With respect to compliance regulation or legislation, uh, we have example of the Warren Act when it comes to employment. Um, the, 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 the government or the authorities might be looking to achieve a specific social um, and or um, uh, benefit for people who might be subject to a termination. With respect to um, compliance framework, um, the objective here, when you talk about SOC 2 or you talk about an ISO, is to establish a baseline of common standards something that would raise or uh, enable everyone to know, you know, someone who follows these rules has is providing assurance of a minimum set of things that are being done. So in a sense, complying doesn't mean that you're doing the best possible things every time. It means that at the very least, you are ensuring a baseline that is acceptable as um, uh, that is acceptable as a norm of either doing business or as a norm of of, of showing uh, the due care and due process. Well, and one of the things that we've spent a lot of time talking about is it's not just about saying what you do, but it's documenting it and understanding what controls, checks and balances, if you will, are in place to make sure that you're actually living up to what you say you're doing. Absolutely. So um, a good example about compliance. Um, one of my uh, uncle growing up was a colonel in the army and uh, a couple times we got to spend the summer at his house and his house happened to be on a military base and uh, something that was very interesting here was that there were these little cards you know 
in front of the shower, on top of the sink in the kitchen. And the one, for instance, in, in front of the kitchen, so uh, four nephews, was the sequence to wash dishes, right? Step one, you did this. Step two, you did this. And step four, you did, and then, so you had to follow the steps. And that's a good example when you talk about uh, process and, 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 and controls with respect to compliance. Now, those steps there would be the procedure, right? And now the person applying these, these particular procedures or uh, those following those steps can actually do it with a very high level of integrity and a very high level of care, et cetera. And somebody else might be looking to do the very, very least of it, right? But what do the step actually ensure? As you go into there, they want to make sure that you've taken the plates that you had, uh, you know, pre-rinsed it, that you apply some soap to it, that you rinse it and before you're putting it on the rack. So that's the procedure. But does that ensure that the plate coming out on the other end is going to be clean? <laughs> so that's the, that's the point really with compliance. And so the trick about this is as you examine requirements, whether they are best practices and or specific objective within the organization, the risk is to ensure that not only you're applying the right controls, right, the right steps that need to be there, but that you have a method to validate that as those controls, uh, as those steps are being performed, that you can confirm that they've been performed and they've been performed up to a specific standard that matches your risk profile. So having this set of tasks is one thing. The next thing is to now having a control such as Maybe somebody coming in and checking after the first plate is clean and ensuring that it's very it's actually clean, and or maybe requiring some things that validates the fact that not only the task was performed, but it was performed according to an acceptable standard. I think I just earned a new title around the house, Chief Compliance Officer. There you go. Um, and, and what I need from you as a consultant in the arena, can can you please give me that checklist so I can post it again up above my sink at home so I can tell my kids exactly how to do the dishes? How about that? Let me make a buck as a consultant. Let me consult with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But one one of the key things I heard there is 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 you know it's not a matter of just having here are the instructions and what to do, but the controls are the compliance aspect of making sure that it is getting done. So I'll, use, I'll continue on the clean dishes uh, is if one kiddo is doing the dishes at night and putting them in the dishwasher and another kiddo is taking them out of the dishwasher the next morning and putting them away, but finds food still on the plate, still in the cups or something to that effect, they need to report that, that the night, the night dishwasher did not get their job done. Yes, that could be an example of a control. And then when you think about control, there are a number of controls, a type of controls, right? You can think about detective controls. Detective controls enable you to assert whether a something has occurred or is happening as you plan, right? There are compensation controls. You know, for instance, that this task is being performed, but it's not being performed to the level of care that you want. So you may want to ask for additional things to be done in order to bring the totality of those tasks up to the, up to the standards. And of course, you have um, you know, remediation control. So there's various types of control. So you can have control to detect 
um, in non-compliance or the inadequacy or the uh, ineffectiveness of a particular procedure. You can have control that are set to make sure that something is complete. You know, completeness control, you can have control for various things. We are kind of getting in the we of of the mechanics of it. I mean, we're going. Well, I need to know how to make sure my kids do the dishes right. That's what we're getting in the middle of. Exactly, and if you, <laughs> and if you were talking to, um, uh, you know, Corey here, um, uh, I, I, and us about our method for for doing uh, the dishes, uh, you, you would see that it's actually a very complex topic and a very divisive conversation in many, many households. Um, but I wanted to kind of go a bit a bit wider before we go into the details of, of, of that. When you're talking about control implementation, you're talking about procedures and prevention, you're already going into how the sausage is made, right? Let's kind of level up, you know, let's kind of go a little bit higher before you get to that point. I've seen many times um, someone wanting to start a compliance program like you. I want to ensure that my friends, my kids are doing the dishes right. And you did the very same thing that many companies are doing today. Give me your list that you have and let me put it here and it's going to work for me. The same thing is happening to a lot of organizations out there. They say they want to become ISO compliant and so forth. And the first thing is to go on Google and to type a search query and to copy the first set of procedures and tasks that anybody else have there and say, well, this is what we'll go through. There's got to be a connection between the task that you perform within your organization and how you perform them and the way you vet their execution and ensure that they've been done properly. So in, in that sense, merely going out there and copying what is posted doesn't start your audit program. What starts your audit program is asking the internal question of, okay, who is doing that? Is the guy doing the dishes even tall enough to reach the sink, right? And based on whether or not he is tall enough, your procedure might require, you know, having a ladder or a little step tool available next to him. It's about enabling the people performing those tasks to perform them. And remember, they are doing those tasks in addition to doing their job. So they do not, it did not become an additional task. It has to be something that flows naturally with how they are performing those tasks. The other point of it is that in implying those controls, you don't want to create additional risk for your organization. Coming back to the very same example of your son or your daughter doing the dishes, well, if the ladder is too tall, are you creating maybe additional risk that might be affecting other part of your household organizations? Right. So in implementing control, sometimes we come up with rules, regulation steps that may be at odds with other things that we're doing, might be odds with existing policies that we have. And that's where the risk and compliance balance and game comes into play. And sometimes there is a trade off happening uh, when we when we come to put those things in, 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 uh, in, in, in action. But it's, it's a balance of risk, business performance, like it, it's a really a dynamic environment compliance. And, and so understanding that all now I, I will let like the record to reflect that all the kids are tall enough. They know <laughs> how to do the dishes. They just conveniently forget on a regular basis. So I need a memory compliance checklist. We'll, we'll get to that later. Um, is compliance ever done? Is this something that you check a box and you move on and say, we're good to go? Or is this an, an evolution, a continuing evolution? 
So not so much evolution. The compliance is not what evolved, right? What evolves is the business. And you cannot do, no business is running the same way the day they were founded as the way they are 10 years down the road. So as your business evolves, your procedures and compliance requirements have to adapt to new business reality, right? You're adding a new trade line. You're adding a new categories of employees, of partners. You're adding a new system. So as all these things are changing, you have to continuously adapt and ensure that you have the additional uh, uh, side oversight over it. It's really about maturity, right? You're thinking about, hey, in order to show that we're doing this right, we want to document it so that everybody who joins in knows how we're doing it. Now, we want to make sure that everybody who does it is updated as to the new features and the new things that we've done. We want to make sure that every new things that we add to our list of services will not be at odds with the things we've done before. And we want to make sure that we have additional rules and processes and documentation for these new things we've added and so forth and so forth. And if you think about it that way, you know, you stop your business and you stop having to be compliant. But if you are in business, then you have to continue to think about ways to check on all of those uh, on all of those uh, activities. And points. I really like that. The, uh, the business evolves, not compliance. Yes. I really enjoy that. So I want to thank you, Jacques, for joining us today and our listeners. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation over the course of a series, talking more nuanced areas of compliance and some specific examples. If you'd like to learn more about IDS or subscribe, you can visit us at IDSINC.com or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Otherwise, thank you again, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, you, Hunter. And especially looking forward to talking specifically about compliance in the context of legal litigation and uh, and uh, some of the fantastic work that's being done at the IDS. Awesome, appreciate it, sir.